My other podcast, Love and Abuse, is all about improving your communication skills. Well, yes, it's really about emotionally abusive relationships, but imagine if you knew exactly how to respond to difficult people so that you had the best chance at healthy communication. I go over that and a lot more over at loveandabuse.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I am here to help you increase your emotional intelligence, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and give you the tools to show up as your authentic self. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Okay, I am so glad that you are here because I want to ask you this question. Are you too nice? I'm not talking about pupil-pleasing. I'm talking about the sort of behavior that is self-deprecating and taking the fault or the blame so often that everyone around you is free and clear. So you are the only person that uh, takes the load, takes all the responsibility. You take the blame, you take the fault, you take everything on your shoulders because you're so nice. I know people pleasers do this too. I did this most of my life. Um, But there's a difference between, for example, apologizing when you did nothing wrong just to be polite. A good example of that is you're walking with your cart. I always use a grocery store. (laughs) You're walking with your cart in the grocery store and uh, you reach the end of the aisle and somebody is entering the aisle and you bump into each other or you're very close to bumping into each other. And um, you might say, I'm so sorry. You, you don't want to bump into that person. You don't mean to. So you say, oh, I'm so sorry. And they say, I'm sorry too. And that's what I mean by apologizing for something that you didn't necessarily do wrong. You ever come out of an elevator and somebody's walking in? <laughs> I've done this a thousand times. No matter how many times I take the elevator, um, I will often stand in the middle of the door waiting for it to open and walk out not thinking that there are people waiting to come in. There isn't always, so it doesn't always happen, but I just, I just, I don't think. I don't think at all. I just wait for the doors to open. You know, it's my world. I'm walking around in this bubble. No one else exists. So when the doors open, I don't expect anyone to be there because uh, it's my world. I'm just being my unconscious self, doing my own thing. And of course, 99% of the time, where I've been, there are people standing outside the elevator waiting to get in. Same thing. I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't mean to. And sometimes they get upset because I shouldn't be standing there, but they're standing there too. (laughs) But a lot of people will say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then you'll go around each other. So that's what I mean. Sometimes we, we are too nice, which is a good quality. We can be too nice in those uh, instances And that, I believe, is a good quality to have because 
it's like just a, a normal real life incident that happens that no one meant any ill will or harm. It's just a normal thing. You bump into somebody, I'm so sorry. Because what are you going to do? Analyze it on the spot? Well, you know, I was coming out of the aisle at least 0.04 milliseconds before you. So I'm clearly in the right because you should have yielded to my cart. So that's not what we're going to do. We're not going to sit there or talk about it. Um, I do wonder if people ever argue about that because somebody is likely going to say, I was coming into the aisle and you should have been on that side. Why weren't you on that side? They might get upset. Maybe they're having a bad day or maybe they just always have a bad day. So they might say something. They may get upset. And of course, that's probably going to make you upset too. It would make me upset. Like, wow, I, I didn't mean it. It was an accident. And maybe I was just not paying attention. I apologize. And then they just go, and then move on. They don't apologize. There are people like that. They won't apologize. They believe it's your fault. And um, then you might walk away thinking, was it something I said? Is it uh, something I did? Or maybe it was my fault? This is where the too nice part might kick in. Maybe I said something wrong. Maybe I wasn't sensitive enough. Maybe I should have made eye contact first. Or maybe I should have been slower. Maybe I should have been on the other side like that person said. Maybe this, maybe that. Uh, there must have been something I did wrong. So I'm going to explore every single facet of that interaction and find out what I did wrong. And then maybe you'll get to a point where you say, I didn't do anything wrong because you're going to analyze this whole thing. I know I didn't do anything wrong. So why was that person so upset? And then, of course, hopefully you'll have thoughts of, well, maybe they're just a a mean person or an angry person. Maybe they had some issue at home and now they have to go grocery shopping while they're angry. There could be a million zillion different things going on in their life, of course. And so uh, we analyze these situations when they happen. I think the problem comes when we overanalyze these interactions. And it's hard not to do. I still do this. I have not mastered this. I still overanalyze interactions that uh, I should just forget about and move on. Why did that guy cut me off? Why did that guy give me a dirty look? Why did she push her way past me and didn't look back wondering if I fell over? Why do these people do the things they do? I analyze those things. I, I don't want to be the bad guy. That's what happens is that... When we're too nice, we don't want to be the bad guy. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to be that person that gets upset. And we also are conscientious enough to know that we make mistakes. I know I make mistakes. And uh, because of that, uh, because I'm not going to quickly analyze the situation to find out who's at fault or who's responsible, and it doesn't really matter to me most of the time, I'm not going to think, um, in the sense that this person might be at fault, so I'm not going to apologize. I mean, that's a lot to analyze and think about and articulate in a quick two or five second interaction. So it's just most of the time easier to say, I'm sorry about that, and then move on. So if you don't analyze it, you're just going to move on. Problem happens when other people 
aren't in that same space, and they're not very nice, at least in that moment, or ever. <laughs> There's some people that just aren't nice. Maybe they hate shopping, and they bump into carts all the time. That happens a lot. You know, when the, the store is crowded or overcrowded, everyone is in the way, no matter what. Everyone is in the way. <laughs> so you will get agitated. You will walk through these aisles and be very agitated. You know, the highway traffic jam. So we can have these emotions that go through us. And then we meet these people and hopefully they're as nice as us. <laughs> hopefully they are not uh, upset and they are willing to apologize or take responsibility for their role in what just happened and um, then you hopefully can go on your way. Hopefully both of you can just move on, move past it. But like I was saying, there are times when the interaction doesn't go smoothly. One person doesn't apologize, or maybe both don't apologize. They're not necessarily nice in that moment. So they end up having a spat, a discussion, an argument, a fight, whatever it is. And um, then what do you do from there? You're just angry, then the rest of your day is angry, and then you bring that anger home, on and on and on. So what I'm trying to get to is that there's a point where you shouldn't be so nice that you're always taking the blame. You shouldn't be so nice that you're always thinking that it might be something that you did or something that you said, because not everyone is the same as you. I know that's obvious, but I'm hoping this makes sense because if you walk around thinking that everyone would apologize when there seems to be no way to point at a particular thing or person that's at fault, then everyone would just take responsibility for their role in what happened. That doesn't always happen. It's nice to find somebody that takes responsibility for their role in the communication or the interaction, but that doesn't always happen. And so, you know, when it comes to strangers, it's harder to figure out, you know, the best way to communicate because not everyone communicates the same. And you will catch people on bad days or you will catch uh, people behaving badly. And uh, when you do, yeah, it, it's sometimes hard to brush off and move on. But I'm talking about uh, taking the blame or responsibility for the people that are regulars in your life, the people in your circles, in your family, in your friends and uh, neighbors and everyone around you that you see more often than a stranger. If you see these people more often than not, and you are the type of person that uh, becomes a little too nice and always takes responsibility for your role, which is a very good, healthy habit to have, a, a very good, healthy thing to do. You just have to be careful that when you're that type of person and the other person never takes responsibility and doesn't care about healthy communication or about taking responsibility for their role and what happened, then you have to be aware that perhaps you might be going overboard in being too nice. And what I mean by that is if this other person never 
takes responsibility for their role in whatever interaction you're in, or you're always at fault. They'll blame you. They expect you to apologize and say, I did that. I'm so sorry. I apologize. You know, please forgive me. If they expect that of you, but they never take responsibility for their role and they never apologize and it becomes part of the way you interact with them, then I believe you're being too nice. And I also believe, and I say this with love and respect, that you might be being naive. You might be being a little bit naive or even, again, respectfully gullible. That doesn't mean you're an idiot. That just means that sometimes we're so nice to people and so forgiving of how they are and who they are and think that they're like us that we are willing to overlook what might really be happening. What might really be happening is that they expect you to take the fall. They expect you to accept them as they are. Again, that's a great quality. You accept somebody as they are. But also, blame yourself for their behavior and what they did. They, some people will expect this of you. And when they do, what happens? You're always taking the blame. You're always taking the load. You are carrying around these heavy burdens in a relationship that should be more balanced. Because I believe relationships are only worth keeping when they feel balanced. Meaning, it could be a romantic relationship. It could be a family. It could be a friend even an acquaintance, a coworker, I think there should be some balance. And I know coworker is going to be a different um, level, you know, management and stuff like that. But uh, there's still a level of respect in manners that uh, should be present in most relationships. Like I, I remember working for bosses where, yes, they told me what to do, but that was expected, but they never mistreated me can't remember any of them actually mistreating me. They always treated me with respect. And that was important. That felt like a balanced relationship. I respect you, they respect me. Or I respect them, they respect me. And when that happens, when there's a, a level of kindness and respect, something I talk about on love and abuse all the time, when you treat people with kindness and respect, you deserve it back. You deserve it back, and that's what creates the balance. So when you have people in your life that you treat with kindness and respect and you don't seem to get it back, and you always feel like you're taking the fall or you're carrying the load or it's always your fault, whatever's happening or whatever happened, it's your fault or there's something that you did wrong, which a lot of those thoughts come from your own brain. Uh, must have been something I did, or what did I do wrong, or what didn't I do uh, that I should have done. We have to be careful that we're not being too nice to people to cause us to put ourselves down so that they continue to get away with behavior or communication that might actually be toxic or manipulative or abusive. We don't want to get ourselves into these unbalanced relationships. 
I mean, it's hard to avoid some relationships. I, I understand that. But I also want to make sure you don't normalize these unbalanced relationships and just expect that's what life is supposed to be like. We're supposed to have these unbalanced relationships and um, there's nothing we can do about it and there's nothing better. That's not true. There's enough people in the world where we can find a person to have a more balanced relationship with. It may cause us to lose what we feel are important people in our lives if we have a child that mistreats us or disrespects us or you know is not very uh, nice to us in a lot of ways losing that relationship would be very difficult even romantic relationships we have a partner that doesn't treat us right there's a lot of good times and there's a lot of bad times uh, when the bad times override the good times and you're feeling less happy more often than happy then we have a problem. There's an uh, imbalance there. So what do we do? We have to figure out if we can rebalance it. I've talked about that a lot of times. I probably haven't used that terminology, rebalancing the relationship, but it's true. We have to rebalance the relationship in hopes to keep it. And rebalancing, what I've talked about in the past, is simply telling them, hey, look, when you do this or say this, it feels X. It feels, you know, fill in the blank. It feels disrespectful or it feels like you don't care about me. It feels like you don't love me. It feels something. So the question is, what does it feel like? When you do this, it makes me feel uh, worthless. Like you don't care what happens to me. And if they say, well, it's your fault and I'm not your problem. And if you feel that way, that doesn't affect me. You just have to control your own feelings or something like that. That's what you know. people say. They say, I'm not responsible for your emotions. Which I would respond, yes, but I feel this way. I, I agree with you, but I feel this way when you do that. So would you do me a favor and not do that anymore? Because let's just say that I am responsible for my emotions, which I am. I know I am. Uh, knowing that it hurts me or feels disrespectful or makes me feel worthless or whatever, knowing that it hurts me, would you be kind enough to not do that? And yes, I probably need to work on this and not be triggered by what you're doing. But until then, would you please not do or say that? Hopefully somebody who cares about you, somebody who loves you, somebody who wants you in their life will say, Wow, yes, of course, I will stop that. I, I didn't realize how much it affected you. I definitely will stop that because I care about you enough to not want to see you in pain like this or hurting in some way. And I don't want to see you unhappy. So definitely, I, I didn't realize how much that affected you. So I won't do that anymore. Will that happen? I don't know. Will they say that? That's a wonderful outcome if that's what happens. The problem is that people who haven't stopped behavior when they see you hurting usually won't stop behavior when they see you hurting. If they know that you feel bad in some way and they say, well, that's on you, 
that's too bad, that's on you. There's nothing I can do about it, and too bad for you. And they're doing specific behavior that makes you feel that way. I think it's important to convey, like I just said, in a respectful way that when you do that, it makes me feel this way, so would you please stop doing that? You just say that or ask that, and when you do, hopefully they'll say something supportive in return. So I think it's important to convey the message to someone that is doing something that does affect you and let them know that it affects you so that they have the opportunity to make a different decision. I think that's a a good way to present to them that uh, you are affected by something they're doing even though you are responsible for your own emotions. And I actually add on to that. And other people are capable of making you feel negative, of making you feel bad. Other people are capable of doing it, even though you're responsible for your own emotions. Because I've heard this before, and I've been on the fence of you are responsible for your own emotions. I've been on the fence because there are people that are capable of instilling or installing an emotional state in you that you didn't want. I know it can happen because some people are so coercive and so manipulative and know how to uh, activate your triggers and work you in a way to make you feel bad and they will say you are responsible for your emotions even though they caused it. They caused the chain of events that led you to that point because they know how to work you from the inside out. When someone knows you well enough, they know how to press your triggers. They know how to say things in a subtle way to uh, make you feel bad, make you feel bad about yourself. It's all part of the emotional abuse cycle that I talk about at Love and Abuse. Um, But I wanted to share it here because... I want to make sure that you don't end up taking all the blame all the time, especially around people that never take the blame, never take responsibility, and always expect you to do it. Who are those people in your life? Who are those people? I think everyone's screaming at their phone or their podcast player right now. I know who that person is. It's so-and-so. They never take responsibility. They always expect me to take the blame or blame me. They always do it. It's so nice to meet people that are willing to say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to you know, run into you, you know, in the store or the elevator. It's so nice to meet people like that. You know they are conscientious of other people's feelings. They have a, a certain amount of sympathy, maybe a certain level of empathy, and you realize that they walk around in an automatic state of not wanting other people to feel bad. And then there are those that don't feel that way. They don't think that way. You get in their way. You're the problem. Their bubble is everyone around me is an obstacle and an interruption, and everyone is a problem but me. I'm not a problem. I'm minding my own business. I pushed my cart into this aisle and no one should have been there. But because someone was there, that's their fault. Those are the toughest people to deal with. And I hope you don't have anyone in your life like that. But if you do, it's time to 
consider maybe talking to them, expressing, you know, I'm not talking about strangers, but people that you know, expressing to them that I'd really like to have a better relationship. And maybe we can start with these are the people that you may want to communicate with and and let them know that uh, I'm not going to take responsibility for this because I know I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not saying you have to have this conversation. Maybe you don't. Maybe you realize this person is never going to change and doesn't listen to reason, so I'm not going to have that conversation with them. That could be it. And if that's the case, and that person needs to stay in your life for some reason, then you might have to come to that level of acceptance that allows you to uh, let it go in a way. Like there's nothing I can do, so I'm just going to let it go. I know they'll never change. That can be freeing. It can be very freeing to let go of the idea that they'll ever change. In fact, I encourage that because if you let go of the idea that someone will ever change, then you're not always looking for it. And you're not always continually disappointed. You don't think about it all the time. You just let it go because I know they'll never change. That's very, very freeing, even if it feels oppressive being around them all the time. At least... Your mind isn't working against you. Your brain isn't telling you, maybe they'll act differently this time. Maybe they'll understand that they're hurting me. Maybe this, maybe that. That's obsessive thinking about something that will never change. And if you've listened to this show before, you've probably heard me say, it's always better to accept that someone will never change than to look for it constantly because what you're doing is driving yourself crazy. Stop waiting for people to change because they won't. You can't prove that. You can't say that's true. I know, but my life is a whole lot easier if I choose to believe that someone that bothers the heck out of me will never change. If they do, if they change tomorrow, that's a banana split. (laughs) That's wonderful. I love it. Cherry on top. Add the whipped cream. I'm in love. This is wonderful. If they don't, then I'm glad I didn't obsess about them changing. Because we wait so long. A lot of us wait so long for people to change. And while we're waiting, we drive ourselves crazy and make ourselves feel disappointed over and over again, hoping that this time they'll show up the way we want them to show up. And uh, some people don't. So I free myself, and I encourage you to free yourself of the expectation that someone will ever change. And also free yourself of constantly taking the blame or responsibility when you're with someone that never does. And you can tell who these people are if you find yourself questioning yourself constantly. Maybe I should have said this. Maybe I was too insensitive. Maybe I was too uh, pushy. Maybe I should have said that. And you go on and on and on thinking about all the things that you could have done or should have done or would have done differently, and you just drive yourself crazy. And I'm not saying you can't ever do that because, like I said, I still do that, but it shouldn't happen with every interaction with the same person over and over again. When it does, there's probably something more going on. They probably know that you'll take responsibility or you'll take the blame They probably know that, so they just continue the relationship the way it is because it works for them. Nothing's on their shoulders. They're walking around free and clear. They've got their bubble on, and 
Everyone else is at fault. We want to try to rebalance relationships first. And then if that doesn't work, accept who they are or who they aren't and accept that they will never be who we want them to be. And if they surprise us and change, wonderful. Get out your spoons. (laughs) Let's have some ice cream. Don't be so nice that you give people like this a free pass for the rest of your life. You you shouldn't do that, um, and I know I shouldn't tell you what to do. (laughs) So take that information and do what you want with it. I appreciate you. I'm so glad you're here. We'll be right back. I'm going to read an email from someone that uh, maybe has been too nice uh, herself. Be right back after this. My morning ritual is getting my greens. Without failure, the first thing I ingest is my AG1 by Athletic Greens. One scoop of AG1 contains 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. The last time I talked about this, I, I told you it changed how I sleep or it changed my patterns. I now fall asleep faster and I stay asleep, which is very unusual for me, and and I sleep deeply. So that is so different than what my nights used to look like. In fact, my girlfriend will tell you how many times I woke up at 3 or 4 a.m. just to go in the other room, play some games, read some emails, and uh, I realize I've been missing some important ingredients required for my most optimum health. So ever since I started AG1, my sleep has been better and aside from that I'm so happy to be improving my gut health and of course because I'm getting better sleep I'm waking up feeling more energy and that again is just something I'm not used to I've been on it for a good five weeks now and like I said my morning ritual is my AG1 and maybe it can be yours too maybe you can gather all those vitamins and supplements that you bought and uh, check out AG1's ingredients maybe it covers them all Wouldn't that be nice if AG1 covered everything you needed? Maybe now is a good time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I'm using the vitamin D as well. They give you a a bottle with a little dropper, and I put a drop in my tea every day. So I know that I'm doing everything I can to improve my health as much as I can. And I'm encouraging you to check out athleticgreens.com forward slash brain. Again, go to athleticgreens.com forward slash brain. Get your free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and your free travel packs. Take ownership of your health Pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance now. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to read you an email and we're going to find out if this person is being too nice. (laughs) She wrote, I've been in a toxic and emotionally draining relationship for over a decade. 
I married my husband, and he pretended to be the most amazing man in the world. So we married a week after we met. Now, he doesn't let me do anything without him being there physically or monitoring me on a camera, I guess a uh, closed-circuit TV maybe, and or using an app to locate me or find me. I've been helping him out by encouraging him to get his degree so he can become independent, but the process is taking a big toll on me. Do I have to continue helping him? I'm in love with him, and I have not lost hope that he might change one day. Is it possible for his insecurities, controlling, and manipulative behavior to change over time? All right, that's the email she sent me, and I'm so sorry you are dealing with this. Um, thank you for sharing this. I think a lot of people listening right now already know what I'm going to say. If they've been listening for a while, that you know my take on this, um, especially if you've been listening to the Love and Abuse podcast. You know, a lot of, or at least the majority of emails I receive are about relationships, and a good portion of them are about difficult relationships. And um, there's a lot of toxic behavior in many relationships. And I pronounced toxic on purpose. It makes you sick. Toxic behavior makes you sick. And I think that's a good gauge. And it may not be, you know, vomit sick, but it's an emotional sickness. When you are in a toxic situation, when somebody is speaking to you in a toxic way, or you can't tell they're speaking to you in a toxic way, but you feel it, there's an ill feeling. You feel um, under the weather. It's almost an emotional disease because what can happen is you will start feeling this emotional illness, this sickness, and uh, with certain people, and you can't figure out why. You can't pinpoint what they're doing. You don't understand why you feel the way you do. And you always notice it around a certain person or certain people. I mean, not everyone's like this. Some people aren't subtle. They are overt. What I'm talking about are people that are covert. More covert than overt. So what that means is they do behaviors in a way that makes them appear nice, makes them appear like they're not intentionally trying to hurt you, you still have this sickness inside of you. It still feels bad or wrong. Now, with emotional abuse, that usually comes with self a lot of self-blame. And the self-blame comes from the fact that you can't see what the other person's doing to cause you to feel that way. So this is what happens is that you have very kind, generous, supportive, caring people get into relationships with uh, people that do things that make the kind, caring, supportive, generous person feel sick. And sick is a big bucket. It contains a lot of things. You feel ill. You feel bad. You feel wrong. You feel responsible. You feel guilty. All these not-so-pleasant feelings inside of you, they come up when there is toxic communication and toxic behavior in your life toxic toxic it makes you sick so i am i'm kind of drilling that into your head just in case 
you're not sure if it's you or if it's them, and maybe it's a combination of both sometimes, but it, it is helpful if you're trying to figure out if your relationship or that person, um, whether intentionally or not, are doing things that may be not necessarily in your best interest, then I would recommend you use that as a gauge. Am I feeling sick? Am I feeling ill? Am I feeling bad? And uh, that can help. I'm not saying it's going to be the, the catch-all here, but it, it can help to just ask yourself that question. How do I feel right now? So this person who wrote, she is telling me, um, I've been in a toxic relationship for over a decade. And they married a week after they met. So there's a problem there. I believe in falling in love very slowly, gauging your progress as you go, because you don't know someone after a week. Doesn't mean it can't work out and doesn't mean you can't get lucky, but you just don't. I remember I saw a um, a case on uh, Judge Judy. <laughs> I like that show. I, I like to watch it. But uh, the case was about somebody, oh yeah, these two friends who met at um, work. They, they started the same day and a week after they worked together, they said, let's move in together. Now, these were two girls, platonic, and they said, great, this is great, we can you know, move in together, we get along so great. But um, after, I don't know, a month or so, one of them wanted to party and the other one didn't. One of them liked to invite people over and the other one didn't. So they got along great, but one person had a particular recreation that the other person didn't like. She liked to do things that the other person didn't like, so... It came to where the other person had to move out, and she moved out after she signed the lease, and now it's a problem for the person who lives there, who likes to party, but all this stuff comes out. This is what happens, is that these little things that you didn't know about a person come out, so it's not a good idea to go full-on commitment, and I'm really not talking to the person who wrote. I think she knows this. But anyone that might be thinking, let's do this. It's been a month. We love each other. Let's do it. Love isn't the answer. Love is not the gauge. Love should be present, absolutely. But there are so many nuances that come out. And um, I guess this is me as a 51-year-old telling anyone younger than me that might need to hear this, that love is great, but it shouldn't be the only criteria for a full commitment. Because full commitment, as far as even living together, there needs to be a test run, I think. This is exactly what I did in my current relationship and hopefully final relationship is when I met my girlfriend. I was in New Hampshire. She was in Georgia. We were talking for several months before we ever met and we weren't even sure if we were going to be a thing, a couple, but we talked almost every day. We, we just loved getting on the phone and talking with each other. And so I knew she was coming up for some event, so I decided to meet her. And we met and we hung out for a couple of days and everything was great. So, okay, there's test one. <laughs> and so the next time I said, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to stay for maybe a few weeks, if that's okay with you, because this will tell us if we are compatible and if things will work out. And she said, yes, let's do it. So I came down and I stayed with her for a good two or three, maybe a month, I forget. But I, I stayed a while. 
And she said, I cannot believe that there were no glitches. That's what she called it, glitches. And that helped us both realize that, okay, a month of living together is not only tolerable, but enjoyable. So, you know, she got to know my habits. I got to know hers. I got to live with her and see how she lived. And she got to live with me and see how I lived. And, you know, you look for these little things that might get worse (laughs) over time. But we didn't find any of those things. So that was another good test. And so I went back home, and then I came back one more time, and I lived with her again for another month. And um, at that point, we realized, okay, we're compatible. I guess I'll move down. And a little side story. I was going to move down and move into my own place, but she said, no, move in with me. (laughs) I said, okay, uh, are you sure? And yes, she said she was sure, and from that point on, we lived together. So I wanted to take this slowly because my relationship history isn't that great. I mean, I'm a long-termer. I'm a serial monogamist, as some people call me. <laughs> and so when I get into a relationship, I'm like full in, full on, committed. And I had been that way all my life. Uh, but they all ended. And so I had this thought that, okay, uh, relationships end. How about this time, instead of jumping in with both feet, I take it slowly and that's what we both did. We both took it slowly. And, you know, she didn't really trust men anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> I had an uphill battle there. But I didn't really have to try because I'm a transparent. If you've been listening a while, I hope you realize I just tell you what's on my mind. And this is how it goes. And she liked that. So she appreciated that. And so we got along and uh, everything worked out. But I, I highly recommend, I always encourage, take love slow take commitments slow day by day and if you start to feel a little sick it could be a toxic kind of feeling it could be something going on with them and this is where you have to override your love or at least step out of it for a moment so you're not blinded by it so that you can look at behaviors and ask yourself Am I okay with these behaviors? You do have to step out of this in love feeling, in my opinion, but I've seen this work when it's practiced. When you step out of your love for someone and look at things objectively, like um, this is exactly what I'm going to do here for this person with the email. When you look at things objectively, you can find out if that person's doing things or shows up in a way that might make you toxic. So that might be something you want to try if you're experiencing any toxicity, (laughs) toxic feelings or sick feelings or emotional illness. So when you do, you can figure out where that's coming from. Maybe it's the other person, maybe it's not. But I, I think it's a good idea to figure this out, figure out where it's coming from. So let me come back to this person's email She said, he doesn't let me do anything without him being there physically or monitoring me over a camera um, or being on the phone or uh, using the app to locate her. That is toxic. That is absolutely a controlling person that is micromanaging you and you don't want that in your life. And your question is, 
Is it possible for his insecurities, controlling, and manipulative behavior to change over time? All right, here's my answer. No. All of that behavior that he is showing you does not change. It will not change. You said that you've been trying to help him and encourage him to get his degree so he can become independent, but the process is, is taking a toll on me. Of course, because most people don't like to be told what to do, first of all, not that you're doing that to him. But um, if he doesn't want to do it, he's not going to do it. Or if he doesn't have the motivation to do it himself, then he's not going to do it with your encouragement. He may or may not do it. It doesn't even matter. But you helping him is going to take a toll on you because of how he is and the fact that he's never going to change. Ever. This may be hard to hear. He's never going to change. I know some people are thinking that's a very unfair thing to say. Those who've heard me say this before know the follow-up. The follow-up to that is he could change, but I don't want you to rely on that. I don't want you to hope for it. and I don't want you to wait for it. Stop waiting. Look at the trend line. What's been going on? What has been the progress or digress of when this whole relationship started? The trend line is it's either going up and to the right, showing everything's going great and getting better, or it's going uh, straight with some bumps and dips and peaks. And that's fine too, as long as everything is a okay. If you're more happy than not most of the time, great. Or has it gone down steadily or fast and stayed down with lots of dips and very few peaks? You know, the peaks are the happy moments. You might have moments of bliss because the trend line has been so far down that anything, any peak that goes up is going to feel amazing. That's what usually happens in the emotionally abusive relationship is that you are on a low trend and a single peak makes you feel so good because you're so well, bad. You're so emotionally ill most of the time. And so what happens is you feel so bad and then something happens that makes you feel so good and the distance the good has to travel from the bad is like a, a huge high. It's a huge bliss and you want to be in this bliss again. So what you end up doing is you stay in the relationship looking for that next bliss, that next high. And you get them. That's the problem is that you get the next high. Oh, this happened now. Oh, he did this. Wonderful. I knew he had it in him. This is the person I met. This is the one. I'm finally seeing it. He had it in him and I just experienced it. Now we're back down to the bottom. Now we're back at that low trend line and we're feeling toxic again and we're just waiting for the next blissful moment. This is what we do in some relationships, unfortunately, is that we continue waiting for those blissful moments and we don't enjoy, in fact, we hate maybe the rest of the time. And we definitely feel sick. We feel sick the rest of the time. Even if it's just an emotional unwell-being, you just don't 
feel good. And so you look for that next blissful peak. That is trauma bonding. It is the combination of love and abuse. I am loving you in this moment and I'm abusing you the rest of the time. And that love and abuse uh, back and forth that happens creates a bond. And the bond that gets created uh, is traumatic. It, it's created through trauma. And if you are experiencing a relationship with somebody that you have a trauma bond with, then what you're doing is looking for that next high. And when you get it, it's validation, it's confirmation, it uh, reignites your hope, and it makes you feel like there really could be a chance. And this is why I will always say, no, they won't change. Again, that sounds like an unfair thing to say because he could change tomorrow. He absolutely could because he could have an epiphany and realize that he's hurting you and he hates that he's hurting you and suddenly change. But how does it help you to have the hope of him changing? I mean, that's a valid question. How does it help you to hold on to the hope that he'll change one day? Or even the belief. How does it help you to hold on to the belief that he'll change one day? And how long have you held on to that hope or belief? The longer you've held on to it, the longer you've waited for this change, continues to reinforce that it will never, ever happen. Now, I have a program that helps people change, but they have to want it. He has to want to change. I have people, it's called healed being. I have people that join healed being and they start to change almost right away sometimes. They realize how bad the relationship got or how toxic they were or abusive they were. And when they realize it and they want to stop doing that, they choose to do it. They want to do it. They take the steps it takes to make it happen. They are serious. They get into it. They may be resistant. (laughs) I was resistant when I had to go through these changes. I was not a healthy person. I was toxic. I definitely resisted change. But there was a moment that I did change. And the moment is usually what the victims of emotional abuse don't want to create. They don't want this moment to exist. But I'm going to tell you, 99.9% of the time, when this moment occurs, it is either going to be the change that needs to happen to the relationship, or it's going to end it. 99% of the time, there's a moment in the relationship, an event that has to happen in order for the change that you want uh, having a chance to take place. That event, the moment they want to change is the moment they realize they are going to lose the person they're in the relationship with. And the reason that is, is because the entire time you're together, they know they can get away with bad behavior because you're still there. Period. That's it. They're not going to change because every time they do bad behavior, you don't leave. You're still there. That's their only qualifier. They qualify their bad behavior by you being present, by you staying. 
in most cases it doesn't matter if you cry doesn't matter if you scream doesn't matter if you spend the night in the other room in most cases when you're packing your bags walking out the door they finally realize that they need to change some of them or maybe a lot of them they finally realize it because I hear it all the time people who join the healed being program I hear from them they say my wife my husband my partner finally had enough I hear that over and over again they finally had enough and they said that they're gonna leave if nothing changes I'm leaving or they said you better stop doing this behavior or else and then they followed through on that or else and so I've heard from members of the program over and over again that that is what caused them to take it seriously. I mean, some of them may have taken it seriously before, but they finally realized that this is the moment. If I don't do it, I'm going to lose this relationship. And I don't want to lose this relationship, so I have to do it or else. <laughs> this is it. I mean, I don't want to lose the relationship. So that's what happens is a lot of them join the program after the point where the other person has had enough. And again, 99.9% .9 of the time, that's exactly what causes the change, or at least a credible threat of the person leaving. You're going to have to change or else. You're going to have to do it. That's what the victim of emotional abuse would say if they wanted to really see these changes because they're sick of it. So what I'm trying to say here is that you have to get to the point where you're sick of it. I'm done. This is it. It's over. I'm leaving. And then we'll see which direction he takes. That's not my advice. I'm not saying that you should do this. This is absolutely something that when you do it, you're going to go in one direction or another. The, the fork in the road will occur. He's either going to say, oh my God, I've been hurting you this whole time and now I know it, how serious it is because you're ready to leave. Remember, that's their only qualifier. You're ready to leave. Okay, uh, I guess I better do something because I don't want to lose you. And then hopefully he will understand that he's been hurting you that whole time and feel compassion and empathy and realize that it's a bad thing to do and also feel bad for having done it for so long. Hopefully he gets to that point. Almost everyone I've connected with on the program gets to that point. Problem is, is if he takes the other path. What if he says, well, fine, you know, leave, I don't care. Now the relationship is ending. You may not be ready for that, or maybe you are. But this is the fork in the road that can be the beginning of the end. So you have to prepare for it. I didn't say this was easy. I didn't say this was going to be good news or a, a way to make something work that isn't working. I'm just giving you the option that almost always works. You find out what happens and where they are when the threat is real, the threat of ending the relationship. And again, I'm not saying that you do have to do this. I'm saying that this is what I hear from people is that when they're ready to leave is when the hurtful, abusive person takes it seriously and does something about it. So your question of, do I have to continue helping him? I'm in love with him and I have not lost hope that he might change one day. My answer to that is, no, you don't have to continue helping him because he's either going to do it or not. He's an adult. He can make his own decisions. He can take his own steps. He's either going to do it or not. So backing off and finding out what he does 
is going to help you discover what he's going to do. Because if you are trying to push somebody in a direction that they may or may not be ready for, then usually what ends up happening is that whatever they're doing won't stick. So you could get them all excited and say, oh, this is great. This is going to be a wonderful thing for you. And you could fill his head with all kinds of happy rainbows and unicorns. And then when he goes to actually apply for whatever he's doing, the, the degree or whatever, he's not going to have what it takes to stay motivated and stick to it. Because what that normally takes is a self-empowered process of going through the motions and getting more excited internally from yourself, in yourself, not from someone else. I can encourage you to live on a roller coaster. I can encourage you to live on a roller coaster and I can get you all excited, but when you get to the park and you realize, you know, he just told me all this stuff, it would be great, you know, I'd always have a good view and uh, I would just get used to it. I got all excited about that, but now I'm at the park and I'm thinking maybe... I'm not as excited about that. In fact, I don't want to do this at all. I'm realizing this now. The reason that happens is because when somebody's not filling your head with everything that you want them to think about, uh, your own thoughts will start to creep up. And if you haven't thought this through and you haven't thought about every single scenario because you were listening to someone else, then you may change your mind because now someone else isn't in your head. You are actually making decisions for yourself because you are experiencing all the ways it's going to affect you, how it's going to affect your life and everything. And this is the same with um, the program that I run because what happens is the victims of abuse will contact me and say, I'm going to give my husband, my wife, my partner a link to your program so that maybe they'll take it and treat me better. And I will say, uh, I wouldn't do that unless they asked you to do it. I wouldn't sign them up. I wouldn't um, push it on them. I wouldn't do much of anything until they sought it themselves. Once someone seeks something for themselves, it usually sticks. I mean, it has a better chance of sticking. So I would let them take that journey. If you're having a difficult relationship and they're mistreating you and then they say, I just want to change. I I can't help this. I I wish I could change. You could ask the question, uh, well, I know of a program if you want me to send you a link. Do you want me to do that? I know there's a program for you and then you can send that link. And I swear, this is not an infomercial for my program. I'm just trying to put it out there that most people will not do what you fill their head to do if they're not mentally prepared for it. They have to take the steps to get to that point. And that's why you can't really convince someone to do anything. Even if you helped him with this school thing, he has to want it so bad that uh, your help is adding to what he's already done himself, all the mental and psychological steps he needs to take to get to the point where he's going to do it no matter what. That's when you can be helpful. And if he is asking for your help, great, continue, because it's wanted. But it's not a good idea to try to convince someone. So that covers that, I think. And to relate this to the last segment, are you being too nice? You said you're in love, but 
you know, wow, uh, he's watching you on camera. He is like tracking your movements. I really want you to ask yourself this question. Let's just say that this marriage didn't last, it ended. You get a divorce and then five years goes by, you've done a lot of healing, maybe you dated some, uh, maybe you got a new job and maybe you met someone new and you know, the first few weeks you're really enjoying your time together and so now you're a few weeks in and now maybe a few months in and you're really digging this person and it's great. You know, you're taking love slow and you're going, going step by step making sure it's going to work out and everything just seems to synchronize. It's, it's just going well. And let's just say a year goes by, you've been in this relationship a while, and you decide to move in together. Okay, so everything seems to work. Maybe you're going to do the test. You're going to live together for a month, and if it works out, maybe you can continue. So that's what you do. You live together for a month, and you both say, wow, that really worked out. I put the toilet seat down, and you respect my uh, quiet time, and it all works out. So yeah, let's do this. Let's move in together. And then the first thing he does is say, well, I'm going to install a camera um, or several cameras around the house. That way I can, you know, monitor you while I'm at work. Well, I mean, not monitor you, but, you know, just make sure you're safe. Are you going to tolerate it? Are you going to find this acceptable? I just want you to answer honestly. Is it acceptable that he's going to install cameras so he can see what you're doing when he's not at home? I mean, assuming that you are at home at times when he's at work or whatever. If you say, well, no, I, I won't find it acceptable. I've already been through that. I don't want that again. That's very controlling. If you answer that, then you can't possibly stay in the relationship you're in without compromising yourself. You can't do it. You'll be compromising your values, your boundaries, everything that makes you, you. Everything that gives you meaning and purpose as an individual on this planet. You are made up of your boundaries and values and you show up to the world as being the best version of you and one who can make decisions for herself and really wants to shine the brightest she can as you. So if you are opposed to cameras monitoring you in your new relationship, then the question is, will you stay in a relationship that already has things that you oppose? And if so, it is with the understanding that you are compromising yourself every single day you're in it. So when I read that you say, I'm in love with him and I have not lost hope that he might change one day, I want you to look at what's happening in the relationship today that you wouldn't accept in a new relationship and ask yourself, why would I stay with somebody that does things that I wouldn't accept from anyone else? The typical answer is, I'm in love. And another typical answer is, I've invested so much into this relationship. I get that. There's a lot of investment. There's a lot of commitment. There's a lot of ties. There's kids. There's a house. Sometimes people have businesses together. All these investments. You know, I invest in um, building a bonfire. I invest my time and energy. I even cut the wood sometimes. And 
Then um, I had this big pile of logs and brush and straw and dead grass and leaves. Huge pile. I can't wait to see this bonfire. I have so much invested into it. And so I go to light it and the fire starts blazing because everything was so dry and maybe I added some gasoline. <laughs> so it blows up really, I mean not blows up, but it really goes high. And um, somebody looks at me and says, Paul, your arm's on fire. And I look down and I go, what? Oh my God, my arm's on fire. So I stop, drop, and roll. And I try to put the fire out and I finally put the fire out. And then somebody comes up to me and asks, Paul, you invested so much into that bonfire. Why would you put it out? Why? I mean, your arm was on fire. Of course, you don't want to get burned. But you invested all that time and energy. So why wouldn't you just accept that that's part of the fire and you're going to get burned and that's how it goes? This might be one of the meanest metaphors I've ever used. And I don't mean to be mean. I don't mean it to be so harsh that you think I'm being a jerk. I, I, I don't mean that at all. In fact, I just wanted to give you a, an analogy that when you invest into something, it doesn't mean you are required to stay because of your investment. It doesn't mean you are required to allow the burning to continue. It doesn't mean you're required to continue to be toxic. You aren't required, no matter if you invested a year, 10 years, or 50 years. You aren't required to stay while you burn. I know it's it's not a pretty picture, and I, I'm sorry if I made that picture, and I apologize to anyone that's actually been burned. I really want to make this stick for anyone that needs it, because when you're in something that you have committed to and you've invested in, if the toxicity spreads into your system, even if it's just a very slow rate, the emotional burning continues and you're just not happy. So you may find those blissful peaks, but most of the time you're not happy and the burning happens from the inside out in a toxic relationship. I'm so sorry I have to be so blunt and absolutely take this as my opinion. This doesn't mean that I'm right. You can tell me I'm wrong. That's great. You know, Tell me I'm wrong. Do your own thing. Find a way to make this work. But you wanted my perspective. That's my perspective. That's how I see things. And I, I just believe life is too short to continue in any type of environment like this. I know the good times are probably great but the bad times are wearing you down. So um, I hope something I've said today really uh, helps you through this or helps you figure out what to do next. Thank you so much for writing, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. We'll be right back with my thank yous, my goodbyes, and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to go to athleticgreens.com forward slash brain. Get your free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase of AG1. I use it every day. I love it. I think you will too. 
And I want to thank the financial backers this week, Adriana, Julia, Anna, Veronica, Holly, Vanessa, Scott. Scott's new. Good to see you, Scott. Good to meet you virtually here. Thanks for supporting the show. I appreciate you, Robert, Chelsea, Allison, Maude, Deborah, Harriet, Anna, and Samaya. All wonderful backers of this show to help keep the um, hamster running on the treadmill. <laughs> so keep going. Thank you so much for your financial support. They are who I call the patrons of the week, and I read new names every week. If you find value in this show, head over to moretob.com, and you can become a patron too, or give a one-time donation. Totally up to you. If you become a patron, you get some goodies in the patron program, but uh, you can find that at moretob.com. And uh, if you have difficulties in your relationship, kind of stuff I talked about today, head over to loveandabuse.com and uh, listen to my podcast on learning how to communicate healthy and deal with a toxic or difficult relationship. And if you know you're the difficult one in the relationship, I told you about it earlier, head over to healedbeing.com where I have a program that helps people that are doing emotionally abusive behavior change. And finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I ran a little long in the last segment, so I'm going to keep this short. Speaking of short, yes, life is short. Life is too short to spend time with certain people. I mean, sometimes you can't help it. Sometimes you are in a situation where maybe you can't get away from them. Maybe you have a job under a jerk boss, but you like the job and you like the money, so you kind of take the bad with the good. And you might have to do that in life sometimes. You take the bad with the good, but if you're in the bad and it's not getting any better and you can't find much good or the good are those very short blips, those very short peaks of bliss, then I think it's important to maybe start thinking about what else you want to have in your life and how else you want to feel most of the time. I think that's an important goal. Like If you don't feel happy more of the time than not, then that's a good goal to achieve. So what do you need to do to take a step toward that goal? And I, I know there are people in situations right now that it's hard. They, they're in very difficult situations. This is why I look at a goal as a direction and not an outcome. I had a, an episode a long time ago about goals and how I see goals as not a result but a direction because I really hate setting goals. <laughs> and I think that's what the episode's called. Um, setting goals for people who hate setting goals. Uh, it's a popular episode. So if you are one of those people like me, I hate setting goals, um, then the gist of the episode is set a direction. Every time you take a step in that direction, you win. This is like uh, what I did when I started this show back in 2013. I took a single step in the direction toward creating the overwhelmed brain and love and abuse and healed being and other things. But it's taken many years. But every time I took a step in this direction, I got a little bit more done. It's the compound effect. Every step that you take in the direction of the place you want to get to is a win. It is a goal achieved. So I like to focus on direction. Am I heading in that direction? I know if I was in a controlling relationship, I would not be heading anywhere. It would not feel good. I would not like that feeling, and I would want to get away from that feeling. And I would 
look at what it would take to get away from that feeling. And that might be what it takes to get out of that relationship or at least have a conversation saying, look, if this doesn't change, I got to get out of here. If you don't change, it's going to be a problem. And I know that's not easy for everyone to say. Some people need a lot of practice to get to that point. They need to work on boundaries and work on what they value most and try to start going in that direction. Life is short if you need to be reminded, which means every step that you take, if you're not taking it toward something that you want to be, do, or have, then it just delays what could change your life. And if you have any doubt that your life can change, um, I'm not the motivation coach. (laughs) There are podcasts for that. There are people that can motivate you. You can be motivated to make the changes, and that motivation can push you through it. I'm the practical guy. I'm the guy who says, look, just take a step in that direction. Just open a website tomorrow that um, shows a place or a person that you want to be. Just do that. Put some seeds of motivation in your brain so that uh, you can envision where you want to be. But how do you take your first step toward where you want to be and who you want to be and what you want to do? That's probably the most motivation I'll give you in this episode. (laughs) If, If I'm not saying anything that's motivating you anyway, then I don't know. Maybe this isn't the right show for you. But I hope everything I talk about does motivate you in some way to at least take a step in the right direction and continue taking the steps in the right direction because that's what builds momentum. I like building momentum because every step you take, now you have steps behind you that build the foundation that continue the momentum going in the direction that you want to go and pretty soon you are an unstoppable freight train. That's what can happen and that's what happens when you continue taking steps in the right direction is that you become unstoppable. So always keep an open mind because that's how you step into your power. Always be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. (laughs) 